Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. But I am super grateful for the opportunity from Pastor Brandon to share God's word with you today. If I have not had a chance of meeting you, my name is Tevin Sims. I get to be the group's pastor here, and we would love to get you connected into a group. I love my group. I see some people right here on the second row, part of my group, and so I just love community. I love what we get to do together on Sunday nights. That's a plug for my group, and for you today, if you want to get connected to a group, you heard Carly talk about it earlier, you can take a next step card that's in the seat back in front of you, and if you're in the risers at the end of the row, and at any point during the message, you don't have to wait until the end, you can take a next step right now. You might hear something, you might feel prompted to take a next step, you can let us know, and if I see you with your head down today, I'm just going to assume that's what you're doing. I'm assuming you're taking the next step, or you're taking really good notes, right? That's what I'm going to assume. Go with me to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, and then picking up in verse 29, it says this, and it'll be on the screen behind me. It says in verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I've titled today's message, Perspective on a Monday. Perspective on a Monday or the unofficial title, it's not going to be on the screen, same soup, different bowl. Same soup, different bowl. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for these moments that we have together. God, is in these moments that we want to reflect and think of you as we open up your word, the word that is sharper than a double-edged sword to penetrate the heart of man. And I pray that that's what happens today. This word has changed me this week, and I pray that it's life-changing for those who hear it today. So God, I pray that you would be glorified in these moments, that you would use me as your mouthpiece. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. What do you do when you lose perspective? Like, do you understand the question I'm asking? What do you do when you lose perspective? I'll give you an example. Since November, one of my goals has been to get in better shape, lose some weight, and Because of that, that means I've had to make some lifestyle changes. Notice how I didn't say it's a diet, right? Because a diet insinuates there's an end date, right? Somebody clapped for that. But I've made some lifestyle changes because that means it's ongoing. Here are a couple of my lifestyle changes. Uh, I I do a thing called intermittent fasting now. So I don't eat until about 1130 or 12 on most days. So just cut out breakfast. I don't really eat breakfast anymore. And I now love cauliflower. So shout out to all the companies who make cauliflower. Shout out to Chipotle with the new cauliflower rice. Have you had it? It's really good. I can't enjoy sweets like I want to. So Pastor Brandon put me on these keto-friendly like cheesecake balls, and I made them a couple weeks ago. Well, I didn't make them. Shelby, my wife, made them, and they were really good. They were really good, but 
in the back of my mind, I know like, man, this isn't the real thing, right? This isn't the real thing. Now, I would be lying to you if I told you since November, I haven't slipped up or I haven't had an unplanned cheat day. That would be a lie because the truth is I have. The truth is I have slipped up. I've had some unplanned cheat days. And most recently, it was about a month ago, uh, Valerie Dawson, our A-Kids director, for whatever reason, one day in the office, she decided she was going to bring in Oreos, right? Bring them into the office. And I'm not alone in this journey. A lot of us on staff are trying to do better, better habits, fitness, nutrition. And Valerie brought these Oreos and it couldn't just do one pack of Oreos. She brought two packs of Oreos because one was a gluten-free pack of Oreos. They were brand new. And then the other pack was just the regular pack of Oreos. And in case you're wondering, they weren't double stuffed. Okay. And so Valerie's talking about how good these gluten-free Oreos are and we should try it. And I'm someone who thinks I have an advanced palate and a good judgment when it comes to deciding if food is good or bad. And so I was like, I'll try one of these Oreos, these gluten-free Oreos. And I thought that, you know, it's gluten-free, so it's actually healthy. What my wife this week told me, just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean that it's healthy. It's just doesn't have gluten. So that bubble was burst. So I tried one of these Oreos, right? And to my surprise, it wasn't bad. But again, deep down, I know it's not the real thing, right? Well, we continue to work day and people are starting to clean up and it's about to close out the week. And we tell Valerie, hey, you brought this temptation in here, so you take it home. Don't leave this here. We don't need this. This is not going to help us reach our goals. And so Valerie is cleaning up and for a couple of minutes, and nobody knows this, this is my confession. This is, I sound like Usher up here. These are my confessions right now. But... For a couple of minutes, I find myself in the, in the office by myself, and the Oreos are like right there. And you know what happened. Temptation starts to come into my head, and I start to tell myself, well, if you're really going to compare those two Oreos, you got to have a real one. It's been so long, Tevin, so you kind of forgot what it tastes like. And hey, you worked out today, and you know, you'll burn calories as you're chewing it. It's not going to be that big a deal, right? And you know what I did? I'm so proud of what I did. I'm so proud. I got up. And I smashed five Oreos, five Oreos, because you can't just have one Oreo, right? Who gets one? The sleeve is for one sitting. That's why they put the sleeves, three sleeves right there. It's just one for one sitting. And so I had five Oreos and I felt so bad. I got in my car and I left. Didn't talk to anybody, right? If Justin was in here, I'm sorry, Justin, I was weak. But I got in the car and I'm driving home and I'm, again, chewing these Oreos. And I'm just thinking to myself, what did I just do? What just happened, right? I've been working so hard, trying to grow in self-discipline, and I don't need that. And deep down, I know I don't need that. Guys, I pray to the Lord often that I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and that he wouldn't add a single calorie to my body. And I'm still waiting on him to answer that prayer. But I know deep down that Oreo is not going to help me. But in that split second, in a couple of minutes, I lost perspective of my goal. Because in the right now, I wanted that Oreo. It's been so long. I forgot what it tasted like. Right now, my heart wants that Oreo, but the goal is so far away, it doesn't seem real, right? It doesn't seem real. What do you do when you lose perspective? Now, for you today, it may not be eating five Oreos like me, but it may be your finances are out of control and you don't know what to do. You're drowning in debt and You hear maybe somebody say, trust God with your finances, and you just kind of lost a perspective, and it's why I trust God with what I don't have, and 
you've lost perspective or maybe for you, your marriage is struggling and it's been struggling for a while. And maybe you tried to seek counseling and you tried to seek help. You talked to God about it, but things haven't gotten better. And so it's rather than just push through and keep the perspective that we're going to stay together, it's easier to just give up. Or maybe you've been praying to God for something and God hasn't answered that prayer quite yet. And if God hasn't answered my prayer by now, then why trust a God who doesn't hear my prayers? I don't want to do this anymore. And you just lose perspective of what's most important in your life. When we read this passage, Genesis 26, I believe we can relate to Esau because I believe Esau lost perspective on what was most important in his life. He lost perspective and You've heard it from this platform before that the purpose of gathering like this and singing songs and it's not that we come together, do this, sing songs and we walk out the same. But no, we gather, we sing songs, we open up God's word and that his word would change us. When we walk out of this place, we're different. Our hearts are different. Our perspective is different. Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so he is. So today I want to speak to your Monday. Perspective on a Monday. We're in Genesis 25 and we see Esau, Esau and Jacob, they're twin brothers. In case you didn't know, I'm a twin, so I kind of relate to this passage. And Esau is the older of the two, and I'm older than my brother. Just want to throw that in there by two minutes. And the Bible says that when Esau was born, he had hair all over him. He's very hairy, and he had red hair. Esau, that's literally what his name means. He's very hairy. He's a skillful hunter. He's dad's favorite, Isaac, their father. He's dad's favorite. So he's hairy, he's dad's favorite, and he's a skillful hunter. And since Esau is the firstborn, he also has this birthright. We'll talk about that in a second. Jacob, his brother, he's not as hairy as Esau. He's not a skillful hunter. He's not dad's favorite, but he's mom's favorite. He's a mama's boy. And he's not a skillful hunter, so he stays inside. He's kind of quiet. The Bible tells us he stays inside in the tent. And what happens one day is Esau has been out hunting. He's been out on a journey, and he comes back, and he says, Woo, Jacob, that red lentil stew smells really good, right? Let me get some of that. And Jacob looks back and says, well, yeah, for your birthright. And I'm sure Esau didn't have the energy or didn't feel like going back and forth with his brother like most siblings do and said, man, whatever, man. I, I am about to die. I'm exhausted. What right? What use is that birthright to me anyway? And he swears it over to Jacob and they trade birthright for Red lentil stew says that Esau gets up and after he eats, he despises his birthright. Now, I know this sounds crazy. We're talking about red lentil stew, all the protein, right? And he traded it for a birthright. But again, I think we can relate to Esau in this story. And today I want to share one of the primary reasons why I think you and I lose perspective sometimes in life. Here's one of the primary reasons why I believe we lose perspective sometimes in life. We lose perspective because we focus on the right now. We focus on the right now. Esau, it says that he despised his birthright. He just kind of shrugged it off. Didn't mean anything to him. He was indifferent. He was lethargic. He didn't care about it. Why? This birthright was a double blessing. And this was huge in this day. This double blessing would represent that one day later in Esau's life when his father passed away, he would become the leader of the family. He would get double the portion, double the blessing than his brother. It was huge. It was everything. But it didn't really impact his everyday living. 
It's kind of like a retirement fund. This one day will reap the benefits, but right now it does not really do anything for me right now. That's what this birthright is to Esau. So he kind of shrugs it off and he says, man, what, what use is that birthright? That's later in my life. Right now, right now, I'm hungry. Right now, I'm, I'm about to die. That's what he says. That's a little dramatic, don't you think, Esau? You're not about to die. You're just hungry. You're just tired. But isn't that how our perspective can get skewed when we focus on the right now? We focus on the right now and we say, right now, what's in front of me is so big, it's so large, I can't even see past this moment. I'm about to die. My money, I have no money right now. What do you mean to trust God with my finances? What finances? What has God done for me and my finances? You lose perspective. My family is going crazy right now. I can't see We sing songs like, you keep hope alive. What hope? I see no hope in this situation. God hasn't answered my prayer. What what do you want me to do? I can't see past right now, Esau says. We just concluded a series, Chasing Ghosts, and all these things that we talked about over the last month, we think that they will bring us satisfaction and fulfillment and Ultimately, we will never find satisfaction and fulfillment in those things. Either Jesus is enough or he's not. And we focus so much on the right now because we say Jesus is good and all, but I need to add this to complete me. And we focus on the right now and we lose perspective. And I think sometimes we forget that life comes and goes in seasons, right? It comes and goes in seasons. What do I mean by that? I mean, let's just go on a nature walk. Let's look at the tide. It goes in, it comes out. It goes in, it comes out. Let's look at the leaves. Let's look at the trees, how the leaves change the colors. And now things are starting to blossom. And let's look at the seasons of life. I know Charleston is very confused about what season it is right now, but let's just look at the seasons, right? The Bible says in Genesis that God sets the sun and the moon to be signs and set the seasons. The psalmist in Psalm 1 says that the tree is planted by the water and it bears fruit in its season. King Solomon, Ecclesiastes 3, says that there's a time and place for everything. In other words, there's a season for everything in God's perfect timing. But we, we focus on the right now, don't we? We focus on the right now and we forget that God sees things in seasons. But we only see right now. We only see these seconds. We only see these minutes in front of us. It's minutes versus seasons and what God sees. It reminds me one time Shelby and I were watching some kids of our friends and we were inside kind of hanging out and the oldest Beckham, he was outside. And if you know Beckham, he's a, a nature boy, right? He, he likes to be outside. He likes to look for animals and look for uh, frogs and all these things. And this day he wanted to go outside and look for tadpoles. It had just rained and he's like, Tevin, can we go outside and look for tadpoles? And I'm like, yeah, buddy, we can go out. I'll be out there in a minute. And we all know what that means, a minute. And Beckham goes back outside and I'm sitting on the couch and I can't remember how much time passed by, five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Beckham comes back in and says, Tevin, yeah, buddy, what's up? How long is a minute? (laughs) And I remember looking at Shelby and I was like, dang, he got me. I got up and I went outside and we looked for tadpoles and As I was reflecting on that story, I wonder if sometimes we treat God like that. 
God, I want you to heal me right now, this very minute. And God doesn't move when we say now. His now is different than, I don't know, God, fix this situation right now. God, God, are you there? And when God doesn't answer our prayer in that very moment, in that very second, that minute, we think, oh, God doesn't care. It's like my prayers are just hitting the ceiling and coming back down. He will never do it. And we forget God sees things in seasons while we focus on the right now. Second Peter 3.8 says that one day is like a thousand years to God. And you might hear that today and you're like, oh, I'm not going to live a thousand years. Or you're telling me I'm going to have to wait a thousand years? I don't think that's to be taken literally. But I think what Peter's trying to say is that God is not bound by our time. God is sovereign, and he does as he pleases whenever he wants to. We focus on the right now. God, do it right now. Do it this second. And God says, hey, I see things in seasons. I see things in seasons. And I believe when we talk about seasons, I believe you can either be in two places. You can be in a place where you're saying, this is my season, and things are great. Or you can be in a place where you're saying, this is just a season. It's just a season. Like things professionally, things with your work may be in a place where you're saying, man, this is my season. I got a raise. I got the promotion. And relationally, at the same time, you can say, this is just a season. I'm single right now, but it's just a season. Right? I believe we can be in seasons at the same time. Different seasons. I believe as a church going through 2020, if I'm being really honest, you guys know what happened in 2020, the race divide and the political climate and COVID and mask and no mask. And there are points not meeting together as a church and missing a lot of you guys and thinking to myself, God, this is just a season. It's not going to last always. It's just a season. And we celebrated VIP night last Sunday and it's been awesome. And I love seeing this room filled up and seeing people grow and seeing baptisms. And I was talking to our team this week and I really feel like right now as a church, this is our season. This is our time. It's our season. But I am fully aware of some situations and individuals in this room where they are in a place where they're saying individually, man, while this is our season as a church, I'm in a place where this is just a season. I'm going to be all right, but this is just a season. It's just a season. And I, I have learned that most times when we're in a place in one of our, in our lives where we say, hey, this is our season, most times there's resistance in other places in our lives that gives us the opportunity to express and exercise our faith and have us lift our hands and say, this is just a season, God. It's just a season. I'm going to be all right, but it's just a season. Have you ever been maybe getting dressed or driving along and that song came on and it just all of a sudden had a new meaning to you. And you're driving, you're just having your own worship service. You ever been there? This is a moon, just, mm, just, it just sounds different today. Why? Because this is just a season. You ever had to, you got where you were going in your car and you had to wait until the song finished before you got out? You get to group and people are like, hey, what's wrong with you? Hey, I'm going to be all right. Don't ask me. It's just a season. It's just a season you had to put the song on repeat. It's just a season, God. It's just a season. Whether on a mountaintop, whether in a valley, 
It's just a season. It doesn't always have to be bad things. It can be a good thing. God has blessed you, and right now, things are great. This is your season. You are living in abundance, and we get the blessing, and how quick we forget that it was God who gave us that blessing in the first place. We think, oh, well, I got the raise because I've been putting in the work. I've been out here grinding. And if life is good, why need God? We just treat him like a genie in a bottle. When I need something, I'll come to you, God. But until then, I'm good. And we lose perspective. We lose perspective. But how do we regain our perspective when we find ourselves in the right now? How do we regain our perspective? I believe we regain our perspective when we learn the secret of living. We learn the secret of living. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, excuse me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Apostle Paul writes these verses to the Philippian church. And when you study the whole book, when you study the letter that he writes, you realize that Paul is in a prison cell when he writes this letter. Paul himself finds himself in chains as he's writing this. So as Paul is encouraging these Philippians, he says things like in chapter one, hey, the God who began that good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He even says in chapter one, he says, hey, I know you're worried about me, but actually this is really good that I'm in prison because guess what? I'm in this prison cell and all the prisoners and the prison guards there, they know that I'm in here because of Jesus and the gospel's being preached. What, Paul? That makes no sense. He tells the Philippian church later, he says, hey, look at Jesus and humble yourselves just like Jesus. He didn't count himself to be equal to God, but he lowered himself to that of a servant. He looks at him and he says, hey, don't worry about anything, but... Instead, pray about everything and God's peace will be with you and think of things that are holy and think of things that are true and commendable and honorable and lovely. And he ends the whole thing after getting through verse 10 through 13. And he says, hey, and I know my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. How does Paul give this kind of encouragement? This isn't some empty advice that Paul is telling the Philippian church. Paul is living this out. He's living this out. And I got to believe that there were some days that Paul got up and he realized, man, I'm still in this prison cell. I'm still in these chains. And I think he took some of his own advice, some of his own encouragement. And there were some days that he didn't feel like maybe singing. He didn't feel like talking about Jesus. He didn't feel like talking to God. But Paul says that he's learned the secret of living. He realized that his now is connected to a bigger picture. His now was connected to a bigger picture. It's what he wrote to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, these light momentary afflictions that you're going through, they, they're preparing you for glory. And if I would have read that in the Corinthian church and I read that today, I'm like, Paul, don't tell me what I'm going through right now is light. Paul, don't tell me what I'm going through right now is just momentarily because it does not feel light and it does not feel like it's just a moment. It feels heavy. It feels hard and it feels like I've been going on for a while doing this thing. Paul realized that his now, his current situation was connected to a bigger picture. It was connected to a bigger picture. And Paul 
said that it wasn't his own strength that helped him be content, that gave him this perspective. He said, it's Christ who's giving me strength. Paul realized that the spirit of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead, was living inside of him, and it was available to him. And he said, that same spirit is giving me strength to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself in. Paul said, it's the spirit of Jesus giving me strength today. And I believe that when Paul started to feel like, man, I'm discouraged, I'm still in these prison cell and I'm still in these chains and he began to talk about Jesus, he started to stir up that spirit and it gave him perspective to keep going. It gave him perspective to keep writing this letter and encourage the church. It gave him perspective for his right now. He realized his now was connected to a bigger picture. It's connected to a bigger picture. Do you realize for all of us who have decided to follow Jesus, that same spirit is available to you and me today? That all we do is call on the name of Jesus and we seek him and think of him and that same spirit will get stirred up in us and it will give us perspective in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in? What is, how could, how could Jesus, his spirit, give us this perspective? How can he give us strength in our right now? The writer in Hebrews chapter 12 says this. He says that Jesus is our great example. That in verse two, he says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Other translations say that he both began and finished the race that you are running. In other words, it was the joy that was set before Jesus that what? He endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he is seated at the right hand of the father. He's seated at the right hand of the father. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? That joy was you and me. He was thinking of us. He was thinking of us. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That was the joy that was set before Jesus. And Jesus was thinking about dying for my sins and for your sins. And when he thought about that, it was a joy that was set before him. These light momentary afflictions do not compare to what's to come, what's ahead of me. And that, that perspective, that thought right there for Jesus, the joy that was set before him, not only helped him go to the cross, but it helped him go through it. And Paul is saying that spirit is available. That same spirit, that same perspective is encouraging me today. And I have learned the secret of living. I've learned the secret of living. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. It says that he's the firstborn of creation. And when we believe and receive in the free gift of salvation only found through the person of Jesus, the Bible says that we inherit that birthright. We inherit the right standing with God. That now God looks at us and he says, sons and daughters. And I want to encourage you today, don't, don't throw away your birthright like Esau. The writer in Hebrews 12, later he talks about it. He says, don't despise your birthright because you feel frustrated, because you want to give up, because right now things are hard. Don't throw away your birthright. Don't despise it. Don't just shrug it off. Just because right now is difficult. Just because right now is so hard and you can't seem to see past the moment. Don't throw away your birthright just because life is great and you think you've gotten to where you are on your own and you don't need God. 
Don't throw away your birthright because God hasn't answered that prayer quite yet. Don't throw it away. Don't shrug it off. What if we encouraged one another the way that Paul is encouraging the Philippian church? You hear us talk about it all the time. We want you to get in groups. And the reason why we say get in these groups is not because we want you to do something and get in this church and then it's something cute to do on your weekly calendar. No, because we know life gets tough sometimes. And sometimes I get buried down in my head and I focus on the right now. And I need a circle of people who say, Tevin, lift up your eyes and focus on the hill from which my strength comes from. Pick up your head and realize and get perspective and encourage one another with things such as he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Hey, I don't understand what you're going through right now. But I know this, God is doing, he's working all things together for good. Hey man, I, I, can't, I can't explain it, but I do know these light momentary afflictions, they're preparing us for glory. Paul would encourage the Thessalonica church and Thessalonians, he is writing to them and there have been some of the believers in the church who passed away and they're mourning and they're growing fearful. And Paul says this, and maybe you've heard it before at a funeral, he says, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. He says, you, we know what happened to those believers. We know where they are. So we don't mourn as those who have no hope. What if we encouraged each other like that? Instead of trying to give these empty phrases and give this empty advice, trying to fix one another. We just say, hey man, I don't understand it either. But I know this, this is not our home, but we're going someday. Our citizenship is not of this world. We're going someday though. What if we encouraged each other like that? What if we realized and at the end, because I've read the end of the book, church, what if we realized we win at the end? Newsflash, in case you didn't know, at the end, we win. We come out on top. John writes in Revelation 21, he says that there'll be a new heaven and a new Jerusalem and he will wipe away every single tear and there'll be no more death and no more pain and no more suffering and no more injustice and We're going to be there and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe we're going to stand there and we're going to look at Jesus in all of his glory. And we're going to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we sing songs like we just sang. And when we think about that, whoo, that gives you perspective on a Monday, doesn't it? It makes you right now seem like, you know what, I'm not going to get worked up. Because this is just a season. Hey, I'm not gonna get too, I'm not gonna get too high and lose perspective in this season of abundance and realize that hey, every good gift comes from God and seasons come and they go. I'ma keep perspective. I'ma keep perspective. I'm not gonna throw away my birthright. I'ma keep perspective. What would it what would happen if we encouraged each other like that? This would give us perspective in our right now. It gives us perspective. And it, Be careful, be careful because when you start to focus on these things, you'll become one of those people. And when I say one of those people, things may happen to you and it may, your right now may not be great, but you're able to still have a smile on your face. Your right now may not be good, but your finances may be out of control, but you're still able to be a generous person. You trust God. Things, everything around you may be falling apart, but you're still able to say, God is good. 
You become one of those people if you're not careful. That same spirit that Paul is talking about in Philippians 4.13, it's the same spirit that will give you perspective no matter what situation you find yourself in, whether on a mountaintop or in a valley. If his grace is sufficient to save you, it is sufficient to sustain you in every season of your life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for these moments. Jesus, you are our great example. For the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame, and you are seated. You are seated because the work is finished. So God, because of that finished work, because of that perspective, help us in our right now. Help us not to think of what we're currently going through. Our perspective is not shaped around our circumstances. It's not shaped around our emotions. It's shaped on what you have done, Jesus. Through your Holy Spirit, help us, give us strength, give us perspective to think of things that are above, to think of things that are true and honorable and commendable and lovely and pure and help us to encourage one another in this way. Help us to point to you. Help us to look to you. Let us sing songs about you. Let us give you all the praise, whether we're in a valley or we're on a mountaintop. God, all the glory goes to you. Let us have the same perspective like Paul had in this prison cell. God, help us not to forsake, to shrug off, to despise the birthright that we have inherited through your son, Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you that you chose us. We thank you that you love us. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe for today, this is your first time hearing about the good news of Jesus. Maybe it's your first time and you hear about this birthright and you want to accept and inherit the birthright only found through the person of Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And in a second, I want you to repeat after me this prayer. And this prayer does not save you, but it just helps you communicate to what you're feeling on the inside. So if that's you for the very first time today, you want to follow Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior. I want you to repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, here's my life. From this day forward, it's yours. I love you because you first loved me. I believe in my heart that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Thank you for saving me. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Now, as everybody stands to their feet, in a second, we're going to sing a song and we're going to be dismissed and we're going to go out of here. But if that was your first time praying that prayer and making the decision to follow Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior, here's what I want you to do. At the end of service, when everyone's walking out, me and some of the staff, we're going to be down front. Don't walk out of this room without talking to one of us. Reason why I asked you to step out in boldness, because I know it's scary. I know there's going to be a lot of people, but the reason why is because I believe when you respond on the outside to a decision that you've made on the inside, it just becomes that much more real to you. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to help you. We want to help you take a next step and through baptism and begin this journey of following Jesus. So if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, come down and talk to me or talk to one of our staff today. Church, I, I can't promise you I can't promise you that your life is going to be perfect following Jesus. 
that there won't be any suffering, there won't be any pain, but I can promise you this. He tells us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That he'll be with us through the end of the ages. You believe that, church?